Welcome to Food and Loathing, your weekly source of news, gossip, and insider information on the Las Vegas restaurant world. But have no fear, none of this material is classified. I actually had a standing order to declassify any information that I share with you. <laughs> but of course, if you'd like a special master to get involved, <laughs> that all sounds kind of kinky to me. So, um... <laughs> Anyway, okay, enough of the current events. Hello, I'm your host, Al Mancini, coming to you this week from Moonin Ranch, the home of our co-host, Chef Rick Moonin. Our engineer, Rich Johnson, is off reporting on sports news for one of his many real jobs right now. You may or may not hear his voice later in this show, but I promise you that if you're hearing this at all, it means that he stepped in and fixed everything <laughs> I screwed up during the recording process. So thank you. Thank you very much, Rich. We miss him, of course, but we will carry on. I have Rick here, um, hey. and it's just the two of us, man. Um, kind of uncensored without Rich yeah, over man. our shoulders. How's that feel? No one giving us a, a, the stink eye. No know? stink eye <laughs> yet. Oh, uh, man. But I'm great. Things are really great. Um, you know, just doing get up early. You got to get up real early now to do yard work. You know, that lawn <laughs> is just growing so long. I kept, Every day I was going to get up at 5. Today I did it. I feel really great about it. You still have real grass? I have a small <laughs> patch of grass for my dogs. If right. you look out the window, it's not that big, but you know, yeah. it's it's a big deal to me because they, they roll in it. They love it, you know. Oh yeah. And uh, Mr. Sustainability is, is, I guess, I should probably just <laughs> turn it over to something fake. Uh, I mean, you know, it's a little tiny bit for the dogs. I don't think that that water usage is going to really no, um, no. what what you save with that tiny patch. As long as it's legal and you're keeping within the guidelines, that's yeah. not going to um, cover those bodies okay. back I'm up at lace mead, man. Lake <laughs> mead, man. <laughs> oh man, we have a huge episode set for you today, everybody. Um, coming up shortly, we have extended three three extended interviews for you. We have Justin Kingsley Hall discussing his decision to step back from Main Street Provisions in order to focus on his health. Yukon Pizza's Alex White will bring us up to date on their journey from backyard to a brick and mortar, and we'll meet the new executive chef at Haleo Las Vegas. And then, of course, we will have the news. But first, <laughs> hey man, you know what it is. This is the part of the show where we discuss what we've been eating since last we met. So, Rick, why don't you begin? All right. Well, let's see. Most recent was just last night. Um, was uh, invited to go to an opening, pre-opening of a show. That's called Boombox, you know, and it's uh, another. It's a review of hip hop, you know, a, a different era, kind of like uh, rating the rock vault, but just a different era. Old rappers and stuff are coming on stage and just trying to get the crowd waving their arms, put your hands in the air, that kind of <laughs> stuff. Huh? You know, so we went uh, we went there early, and we, since we're in uh, you know in uh, Westgate, we decided to go into Edge. Edge, the uh, the steakhouse there. Yeah. Now yeah. I, I used to know the chef there, but he, then he went. He since moved on. And now he's working with James Trees. No, actually, little update for you. Steve Young is back at the Westgate. Is he? He has. Um. Yeah. It was kind of a little bit of a quiet departure. He left yeah. James Trees. Um. Over there. Um. You know, James has got a great team in place, so yeah. you know, um, everything's cool going on at Osolito Posto. But Steve Young is now in a corporate position over at the Westgate. Oh, nice man. So you well, should ask for him. You know, you know what? <laughs> but you we didn't want anybody to throw shit well, at you because you thought he was gone. Right? My wife Ronnie and I were talking about him. We ran into another friend who just happened to be there. So that's what I love about Vegas. You know, you never know. You're walking through the bar to sit down and have a quick meal before you go to. Show you were invited to, and all of a sudden you hear Rick, Rick. It's just <laughs> you know, and Christine, she's a great friend of ours. You know, Christine. You know, and so, and the thing that I wanted to say about that is, we didn't order steaks. We went in, we ordered four apps. We ordered a steak tartare, wagyu steak. We had a chop. We asked to chop a wedge salad. It was absolutely perfect on cold plates. You know, my wife is gluten free. I mean, they took care of our needs. You know, octopus was spot on delicious. Mm -hmm. You know, and I've had a lot of octopus. You know, so you know, edge. It's not, I, the room needs so, so much work. There's six pillars just taking up the entire middle of the room. It's driving me crazy. <laughs> I'm like, those aren't supporting beams. You know, I want to open this place up. It has so much potential. It's so weird in that room. I actually like it. It feels like a throwback, right? It feels like, yeah, we're going to keep some of the tacky elements from old Vegas. You know, um, those columns, those, those paintings of Elvis that are sort of behind. They're almost wrought like behind iron fence or something. Gates or something, yeah, man. It's like really that. weird. I want to see the art. I did anyway, place, but yeah. great experience. I mean, the, the crew really goes out of the way to take care of you. It's like, you know, it's like old school, you know, uh, wait staff, though. You know, you know, these are the guys who are going to take care of you. Yeah. I got you. Don't worry, you know. Do you, talk, 
I'm sorry, but did you get a chance to talk to Mike at the bar? Because talk about an old old school bartender. Oh, no, man. I saw that him. He, is... He's got to be Irish, right? I mean, he's gigantic. He's, gi- I mean, he's a giant. <laughs> he's, he's a big guy. I know he likes to ride his Harley. He's from New York, the East Coast. He's just got one of those old school bartender vibes to him, man. And he's a yeah. really cool cat. Yeah, I like places like that. But anyway, that's what, that's my, uh, that's my uh, latest and greatest uh, experience. I think I already talked about Chino Poblano last time, you know. And I was just in Chino Poblano, <sighs> and I was loving it as well man did you have the birra the the birra tacos you know they're you know it's got shredded meat in it and cheese and smelted and they give you like they, they call it a consomme but it's the drippings when you make a barbecue mm-hmm. when you're roasting something and all the drippings and you dip your your taco in there and eat it al i've been dreaming about it i swear <laughs> to god i gotta go back and have it again it was delicious i did not have that but what i did have um i had a lot of dishes in there a lot of dumplings um but you're talking about tacos i had and I had the um, beef tendon taco, mm-hmm. which is done with a Szechuan pepper sauce. And I didn't hear the chef mention that when he, he told me when he set it down. And then I, I got that familiar tingling yeah, on my yeah. tongue. That numbing you get of from the Szech- mouth. <laughs> yeah, that Szechuan pepper numbing. So um, that was really, really cool. And I had a lot of great dishes in there. And then the little, um, the, they call it the terracotta warrior for dessert, little chocolate warrior they bring out. You turn them on the side, you smash Smack it open them. to re- re- release the spirit, and then you eat the mousse that's inside. So um, I had a lot of fun over at, um, at Chino Poblano as well this week. It's very interactive. I dig it. Yeah, it's a very cool place. I've got a lot of restaurants, and I know we don't have a lot of time this week, so I'm going to knock through most of them pretty quickly. But the big one, the Voltaggio Brothers are mm-hmm. back in town, taking over the kitchen at Harvest in Bellagio yep. again. Uh, they'll be there through September 10th. I was there for the first night. It was a media dinner. Um, the celebrity chefs looked super busy and focused, but also seemed to be having a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll tell you, this is one of the great things about Harvest. Going back to when it was Sensi years earlier, yeah, yeah. Um, it has that giant open kitchen yep. in the center of the room and you can see it from all sides so when a celebrity chef is coming and is guesting and doing something there you can actually watch them work yeah which you know you don't get to see very often usually it's you wait till they come out and touch the tables but here you could actually watch them working and that was pretty cool um so i, I would highly recommend you if you're a feel fan the, of those you guys you can feel the dynamic of the two brothers in the kitchen yeah i mean those guys are amazing they really are you know to get out there what a sp- i'd like I'm going to talk to you, whether on the air or not. You know, I'm, I'm going to. Uh, I need to. I need to go. I want to check should, him out. We should go. And actually, um, Max Jacobson's wife reached out to me on social media, set to asking if I wanted to go with those guys. So maybe we'll. I want to go together. If and we Ronnie does too. Find so the time. So, we like the guy. We uh, like the. Yeah, and our menu was great. It was delicious. Um, and, and you know, I'm I'm a fan of these guys. I, I don't know them well. I've gotten to meet them a couple times. They've always been super cool cats. I like the food that they make. We had these bruschettas, which were we had some anchovies, some tuna crota, mm. um, this weird caprese salad um, where they it's a an, tomato skin but they put the cheese inside the tomato skin so it just looks like this red ball but as you cut into it the cheese is in there that's awesome that was really wild um we did their their version of shrimp scampi which were the shrimps with their heads on and some prawn crackers it had a wedge salad some pizza um a macaroni salad with octopus and sea urchin i did some rigatoni there was some peas and eggs um this bronzino came out with banana polenta and banana peppers and everybody thought these were banana mashed potatoes actually but really kind of sweet polenta that was really cool um their version of osabuco which was a nice um, bone marrow and then some beef cheeks and that was served with um sunflower seed risotto there's actually no rice in it it's all the sunflower seeds so pure pure um protein right wow, um, that's, i tell you man just uh, the the anchovies you, you brushed over the anchovies but oh, the, yeah. the red sauce that's with that the color of that and the freshness it looks it looks well, really well that's an important thing to bring to mind because look i like these guys i love their food i think it's delicious and i don't want to say negative shit about them but i'm going to use them as the poster children for a problem that i have with Ooh. what everybody's doing these days and that is this is just a pet peeve. Guys, Voltaggio, guys, you guys were great. Your food was fucking awesome. Everybody should go eat it. Uh, this is really not a slam on you. But why are chefs suddenly overdressing every dish to the point where I can't tell what the fuck it is when they bring it to the table? Mm-hmm. I don't know if you saw the pictures. And please, mm-hmm. they're on my social media feed, yep. Facebook page, the Food and Loathing Facebook page. Mm-hmm. But so many dishes came out, and they were just so covered in white shit on mm-hmm. top that mm-hmm. you didn't know what was under it. And I don't know. I like a cleaner presentation. I like a crisper presentation. I like to be able to take in with my eyes what I should be expecting in each bite, make sure that I'm getting everything. Yeah. And I've been getting this at a lot of places. I mean, down to like pizzas that I've had at, um, 
at Mark Vetri's restaurants where you can't see the pizza through the arugula that's mm-hmm. on the top, right? And right. I don't know. This is, again, pet peeve of mine. doesn't get in the way of the taste. It all tastes fantastic. And But I just like to be able to see shit. And the, the, you'll notice that at the Voltaggio Brothers, they're going to bring, you're going to order stuff and they'll bring two or three of them <laughs> to the table. You're going to have to ask which one is which. And these were great dishes, like down to the dessert where they ran, I think, um, either heavy cream or creme fraiche, something through liquid nitrogen and put it on top of this, you know, chilled espresso and chocolate thing. But all you see is this white cloud that yeah, comes to the table. Yeah. Two of the pastas came out as these total white clouds that I couldn't tell what kind of pastas they were. My, um, my gnocchi, I, I had to, just trying to get a picture where I could see a gnocchi through all of the dressing that was on top of the gnocchi was really difficult. So, okay, you know, it sucks if you're taking pictures. It still tastes fantastic, but um, it's a I big, don't know. It's, it's a big fuck you to the Instagrammers. Those people that like to take really <laughs> cool pictures of food, it just if it all looks like a big snowball rolling down a mountain, it's not gonna it's not gonna stand out. But anyway, the anchovies did. Yeah, the anchovies did, right? And that was the example. That looked great on, on camera, right? You saw eye. that on my photos. The rest of them, you probably didn't know what the fuck it was. No, that's what drew me into the rest of the of the meal. Really? Did. Yeah. So um, anyway, it is great, though. I do highly recommend it. They haven't said anything about when they're going to come permanently or whether they will come permanently. I've, if, look, I don't have any inside information on this. This is not the classified documents. But if I were, if I were a betting man, I would just have to say that there's negotiations going on and lawyers arguing over percentages yep. or yep. some shit because it just seems so obvious. They love that room. Mm-hmm. Las Vegas loves them. They told me up in Napa how much they love this city and they like cooking for the locals here as well as just for the tourists. Right. Um, it just seems like a match made in heaven. I don't think I need to nudge anybody. I Like I said, if I were betting, I think that they're doing. You know what it's like working with casinos, so yeah. I'm assuming it's a crazy project. So process. it's a pretty big room. It goes all the way around the kitchen, like you said, in all yeah. the different forms and shapes, part of its service. But mostly there's a lot of seating. So how many... How many tickets are available? How many comp- how do people get it and all that? Do you have that info? Um, you could just go. Unfortunately, you can't get reservations through Neon Feast because Harvest <laughs> is not one of the restaurants on Neon Feast. Sorry, I didn't mean to. It, no, it would have been if probably if Roy Elmar was still there, right? But mm-hmm. it, it didn't make it. Um, so you're going to have to go to the Bellagio website. But there's a big, as soon as you go to the Bellagio's website or you know Google Harvest at Bellagio, take you right there. You can Got make you. your reservations. And they have total control. It's not that they're just, you know, it's they're there through the 10th of the month. Yep. They're doing every night. It's their menu. You can get in any time does so, the menu change as far as i know it's not going to be changing throughout but that's all i know right now all right. some other meals i mentioned china poblano i went over to a media dinner at peyote um now this is the guys from black pearl i believe they're doing the ceviche mm-hmm, inside mm-hmm. vegas test kitchen yep i remember having that so we had a media meal um i gotta say i think that they're on a good track i'm digging what they're doing i'm not yet blown away by it i'm yeah. not yet blown away as much by peyote as i was by there's ceviche over at the test kitchen. Mm-hmm. That's fine. Takes a little while to get used to a new kitchen. I'll tell you, the room is as beautiful as it ever was. It's great to eat out on that patio right within Ferguson's downtown. So you can, it's where Dan yeah. Cromer had his Mexican place for sure, a while. Sure. Yeah. So there's the interior, and then there's that great patio, which is just absolutely gorgeous. Yep. The food is good. And I will gladly go back and watch them as it develops because I think it can get better and I think mm-hmm. it will get better. Mm-hmm. And that's not just me being diplomatic. If I didn't like it, I would have ignored it altogether. But I don't think they're there yet. I think it's worth saying that. Everybody goes through their evolution, including myself. You know, I mean, Brian Howard. We love Brian Howard. Mm-hmm. His food was complicated at one point. He was oh, he needed to edit himself and focus. Yeah. And he did that. And he kicks ass to this day. I look up to him for, for the journey. You know, absolutely. And that's what's fun. So, you know, I would go over to Peyote. I'd get over there right away. I, I would watch as these people develop because you know, it's a great team over there and it's a beautiful space. And I'm a, I am a big fan. Also ate at the Aviators game, whatever they would bring me to my seat, right? <laughs> so um, Sue and I got some club-level seats to the Aviators game. We did not buy the buffet thing. So, you know, just a lot of hot dogs. That was great. Uh, <laughs> Natalia's Secret Kitchen. I went back in there. Okay. Um, that was awesome. And, you know, you somebody was talking about that, Rich, recently. That's a that's a beautiful room, a fun place, way out in Summerlin. Yeah. And good Thai food. You have man. to find it. It's in a little neighborhood. It's cool. But I just found the food so sweet. Really? Sugar. I, had, I I only that's that's my recollection. I went once on a whim in an afternoon we decided, hey, let's find this place. I've heard about it now twice or three times. Mm-hmm. And not such a secret, you know. Yeah, not a <laughs> and secret. And so we get in there and we sit down and just remember, you know, I, I that's I think that's a fault of a lot of Thai food in Las Vegas is they just think they're Americanizing it by adding sugar to it. I wish they wouldn't. 
The only dish that struck me as being sweet was the green curry that I had with chicken, but mm-hmm. that was simultaneously sweet from the coconut milk mm-hmm. and very spicy from the spice and then the bright red peppers in there. So I thought it was a nice balance. Okay. And my wife, who doesn't like sweet coconut a lot of times, mm-hmm. she didn't mind it as being too sweet. So, uh, But that dish I did remember being sweet. We just went in for a few bites. We did um, you know, some of the Thai beef jerky, which was yeah. cool. We had a um, lemongrass soup, which was really good. Yeah. A little heavy on the cilantro for me. Sue liked it, though, a lot. Um, it did another. Oh, their dumplings. Their dumplings are really fucking good. Cool. Like, I gotta dumplings go back. are next level. I gotta go back. I judge places by uh, green papaya salad. I love green papaya salad. I make it. I enjoy it. I've done demonstrations on it all over the place. Mm-hmm. And papaya is so good for you. I can go on and on. And that's when it came. That's what I found sweet. So that's what I'm judging by. So okay. maybe not fair. I gotta go back. No, we'll give it another shot. Sure. I also went to the Yukon Pizza um, first of their two weekends of pop-ups. We're going to be talking to them momentarily, so you get more on that. But uh, I had their meatballs. My wife is the crazy <laughs> meatball fan, and the, you know she compares everything to her mom's meatballs. You know right. she's one of those of people. So she she liked their meatballs quite a bit. And I, I did their cheesesteak, which was nothing at all like a Philly cheesesteak, more like a rustic campground cheesesteak, mm. but it was still fucking good. Yeah, right? yeah, and yeah. I really dug that. <laughs> and I'll be going back. Up next, one of Las Vegas's top chefs explains why he needs to take some time off to take care of himself. This is Food and Loathing. So we are going rogue again this week with not one big centerpiece interview, but three short conversations I've had in the past few days. Two with relative newcomers to Vegas, one with a longtime fixture of the Vegas food scene. As I mentioned last week, Justin Kingsley Hall of Main Street Provisions will be stepping back for a while to focus on his health. He was gracious enough to share his journey with me, starting with when all of this began. 20 years ago, uh, I started having an ache and pain in the kitchen. Uh, my arm, my whole left side, you know, kind of looked and felt a lot like I was having a heart attack. Um, and you know, it kind of went on for a week. I went to the ER, nobody figured it out. Um, and then one day it just kind of, you know, went away and I was doing all right. Uh, And it would come back every once in a while and go forth and that. Um, and it wasn't until about 10 years ago, I found out, um, what the VA hospital, the doctor there decided on was something called costochondritis, which is basically your cartilage that attaches your ribs to your sternum gets inflamed. Uh, it kind of happens, can happen to everybody. You know, people cough too hard. They work out too much at the gym. Um, you know, they can cause some inflammation and it goes away. And for me, it's just been something for a small percentage of people, uh, that just doesn't really go away. Um, and when it comes on, it comes on viciously. Um, and I, you know, it took me out of cooking, uh, for a few years. Uh, I couldn't really cook at home either. Um, I'd spend the day in bed. Um, and I've gone through, you know, people mentioning turmeric to, you know, anti-inflammatory foods to, um, you know, different medications, uh, different things. Um, for a long time, all, all they told me to do is, you know, take this anti-inflammatory and rest. And I, I said, how long? And they said, till you feel better. And, you know, I felt better after a while. And I said, okay, I'm, I'm going to get back to exercising because I used to, you know, I used to do a lot. Uh, so I did about five push-ups and felt something pop and rip in my chest. And <laughs> I laid on the ground. Um, so I, I've been very weary over the years of, of the things I do. And and I started to try and be a little bit smarter. You know, when I, when I felt sore, you know, I'd take back a minute, um, you know, and I'd try to think about, things for the day like you know i won't lift this on my own i won't do that but uh being the idiot that i am and and my background and where i was raised and the industries i've worked in um you know you just kind of forget that after a while so i found out um it really came back hard a few years ago before we opened up main street um it was uh veterans day kind of week or weekend and stuff and i had big plans and all of a sudden, I woke up one morning, felt like something was stabbing me in the chest, and it got worse throughout the day, and I ended up in the ER from the pain, and I ended up in the ER two more times that week. Um, and they finally sent me through a pain doctor. Um, and when we opened up Main Street, the second day of service, 
I had gone in that morning to have my nerves burned. Basically, they have a radio frequency to kind of like, you know, knock your, your nerves out um, and, and hopes that for months you're going to get relief. Uh, for me, it's like a, it only lasts a few weeks. Um, so the second day of service at Main Street, I went at 8 o'clock in the morning. Um, they were going to sedate me, and I said I couldn't, you know, couldn't miss service. They were worried I'd be too groggy for the rest of the day. So I asked him just to give a little local anesthetic, and that was uh, horrific because I, I don't do well with those, meaning that they just don't work that well, so they have to give a lot. And as they put six needles into my chest, um, nice and deep, to numb stuff out, uh, I went through a process of uh, my blood pressure getting to 180, my heart rate flying up, them trying to calm me down. Uh, one doctor leaning over and telling me that, you know, I have six needles in my chest, you know, it's okay to cry. Uh, and I went through that. They went through the procedure. They tried to give me some pain meds to kind of mellow me down afterwards. And I, I went home and I threw on a sling uh, midday and I, I went into work. Uh, nobody asked or expected me to. Everybody tried to convince me not to. But the second day of Main Street being open and everything i figured i could at least go stand and wave at the crowd um, but wanted to be there for the team and then i did that two more times this past year um same thing because it's always on a friday morning uh so same experience uh i went through some ketamine iv drips and nasal spray for pain management um i got into therapy for my own mental uh you know, kind of dark place I'd been in about it for a few years. And, and so that really has been an experience. And so, especially when we opened up peyote, uh, and I was cooking out on the grill quite a bit and filling in gaps of employees calling out or, or just service. Um, you know, people started seeing me wear an ice pack quite a bit. Uh, so, you know, I remember one night at peyote, I was working the grill for brunch and then dinner and I had my ice pack on. I had a bunch of ketamine in my system, uh, along with some other uh, pain meds to try and help it all out. And I would sit down on the ground for a little bit, and I'd get up and cook and sit down again. Um, all while well, a DJ is going by me and all the things. And my my good friend Jolene Menina came to check on me, <laughs> and I told her I was like, I have a, a DJ in my ear, ice pack on, drugs and stuff. I was like, I'm literally living my worst nightmare right now. <laughs> um, So I disappeared to Montana for a week for Christmas with my family, and I told myself that a week away would fix my mind, would fix my body. I can come back and be revved up, and I can do all the things. I can write write the ships. And I did up for a week. I was feeling better-ish, and I was ready to come back, and I was driving down the road, and I woke my wife up, and I said, I just can't do it anymore. Uh, I was like, I'm not okay, and I'm not getting better, and came back, and I spoke to Kim and Jolene and Ryan Doherty and uh, and everybody and told them what I was going to do, and so we backed out of Peyote, and uh, the intention was to, you know, soon back out of Main Street, and, you know, just because of everything from staffing to the needs, and, you know, my exec, Sue Jessica, got a great job up in Idaho, you know, I didn't. I didn't want to just walk out on the restaurant and everything that Kim's done for me and and what that project's meant to me. Um, so I gritted my teeth, wore my ice packs, took some drugs, and and you know worked the line and did the events and managed the people and uh, and kind of pushed through that until you know I finally got to a point where you know I just I just really couldn't keep doing what I said or what I thought I could do. Where does this take you now? You're taking time off. Are you completely out of Main Street provisions? Do you, is it your goal to come back? Or are you not even thinking that far ahead? Is it just about getting healthy right now? Uh, I tried to think that far ahead, and that became a distraction. Um, and it also became a lot of weight to try and figure out the future and try to promise people that, you know, if, I'm, if I get a month or two that I'm going to come back and be okay right now. And I, I just didn't know that and I was tired of promising people things like that and lying to myself. Um, so I am completely out of main street. This will be my, my last week. Um, 
and you know that allows Kim this ability to to have somebody healthy that can come in and really work with her without having to worry about me, which you know she's done a, a quite a bit of caring and trying to make sure that everything's going to be okay and uh and so my future i don't know uh you know take some time to get healthy um really i was just kind of focusing on the next four months um you know how do i maybe cook every once in a while just keep my soul happy but not destroy myself how do i find time to to rest um you know i got my wife and kids and uh so really i'm just working on the next four months you know i've got life is beautiful and i'm taking a little time to rest uh and then you know got a, a few people have offered to have me work with them um till the end of the year which is amazing um but yeah so it's kind of a it's kind of a mixed bag for the next four months and then figure out where my health's at in that time and what the future looks like so let me ask, because I think people who maybe never worked in the industry that listen to this may wonder how you got to this point, right? Um, now, you know, I interviewed you, what was it, 10, 12 years ago for Vegas 7. I think Han, Jolene told Han, Hanya and Hanya told me about you. And at that time, you were out of the kitchen. You were, and I didn't think you had any plans on going back into a professional kitchen. You were teaching. Um, and that you knew that you had health issues. And then you came back a little at a time, right? You first, you did a pop-up and then that pop-up, then you, then I remember you really were passionate about downtown you moved into atomic and I won't give your whole resume here, but it was just thing after thing after thing. And even though we always saw you with that ice pack on, we just assumed, okay, he must be doing okay. Until I had a conversation with you every time and you were like, they just burned my nerves today. Right. Or something like that. And I was like, what the fuck, man? Um, so the question, and I think this is the real important reason we have this conversation, is because we don't talk enough about self-care, life-work balance, taking care of yourself mentally and physically in the industry that you've chosen. You know, I come from journalism. We have our own set of dysfunctions. And lawyers, which I used to be, we have our own set of dysfunctions. And we, we, we hurt ourselves in our own ways. But chefs seem to really hurt themselves with kindness and feel this need. You know, you were in the military before you became a chef, but this military attitude of the of the kitchen that you are not cool unless you bleed for your art. Um, and it seems self-destructive. And we have lost a lot of people on the way, both along the way, because they've bought in way too much into that. So I think it's very important. I'm sorry for going on and on, but I think it's very important that I ask you, how did you get to this position and could you have made smarter decisions along the way that maybe other people can learn from not to say you did the wrong thing but to maybe teach the younger generation that they do have to take care of themselves i think what got me here is a collection of things um i don't want to put it all on this industry uh although this industry uh especially with back of the house you know there's a push and an expectation that you because it's hard. We don't have huge staffs all the time. And even when you have bigger staffs, everybody's got a job to do. So every time somebody's gone, every time somebody calls out and you're trying to fill a gap, that stress gets put on somebody. And uh, more and more these days, especially the past couple of years, you know, it's, it's the management, it's the chefs that are stepping in and cooking while they're trying to make it to meetings and make it to doing inventory to, you know, all the things that being a chef means, plus trying to have your own personal life. Um, it, so it, it's partially that for sure. Uh, being in the military, being an infantry uh, soldier, like same idea. Like you just, you, you know, you're, you're supposed to be going to war. So little aches and pains shouldn't matter even when you're just at home, you know, in the barracks. So here's 800 milligrams of ibuprofen and walk it off. And, you know, but that went from a childhood where, you know, you just put super glue on massive cuts and you quit crying um, and that whole set of machismo and crap that came from that upbringing. Um, so along the way, what I could have done, you know, I could have been okay with asking for time off. I could have been okay with being honest with myself that I'm not okay mentally or physically. I could have been okay with the idea that like wanting to have your birthday or a special occasion or going to a funeral was okay to ask off it's not being a wuss you know we want to pretend like 
our, you know, we want to push ourselves so our entire identity is a job, but that job exists with or without us, you know. I'm not going to be at Main Street, but they're going to have a chef, so it's going to move on, you know. Um, but if I don't move on, you know, family's going to be without me. And so um, so there's there's a lot. There's a lot I should have listened to, uh, friends and people I should have listened to. And, and there's points, too, where, yeah, I, I was teaching and stuff, and I always wanted to get back into a restaurant. Um, my, my goal was, like, okay, I'm going to get healthy, and I'm going to go do something. Um, and I told myself at some point, like I wanted to be a chef and to be a real chef, I had to do these things. And that was like a whole set of bullshit that I told myself. And I don't blame anybody else for that. You know, there's, I know people agree with me on certain things, like just the mystique in the industry of like, well, if you're not doing this, you're not doing that. Um, but I, you know, should have paid attention that like people were showing up to support me and doing all these things. They didn't expect anything from me. Um, but I, you know, I've had some amazing opportunities. Um, and so I should have, should have been okay. And, uh, and been honest that, you know, it's okay to like live life a way that just makes me happy and that not, I don't have to live life for other people's success all the time. Like been so focused on caring about other people and what they need done and what the restaurant needs done and what this person and that person, um, that along the lines, like we forget about it, taking care of ourselves. And we think that is ego or selfish. Uh, and it's really not because you can't take care of yourself. It's kind of like being on an airplane. If you can't get the mask on yourself, you know, you're not going to help anybody else if you're passed out and gone, you know? So, uh, and I think we've shown that definitely in the past few years, like you said, in this industry here in town, um, I've got as many phone calls about, suicide from chefs as I have my old army buddies, which is concerning. Uh, we've lost people from health, you know, so, uh, so I think there's definitely a time that we've talked about more self care and about being smarter in industry and looking out for one another. Um, but we still, we get lost in work all the time. It's easy to say it's very hard to do it. And that's, you know, no blame on anybody, but like, we've got to make drastic steps and be okay with talking about it more. Cause I think talking about it more, um, makes people feel more okay. Um, that they're not an outlier. Um, we all sit in some very dark places. There's a lot of people out there that need therapy or are in therapy and shouldn't feel bad about it. Um, a lot of people out there that don't feel okay physically and should take the time to go take care of themselves. Um, you know, so they can make the long run. You know, success in the short term is awesome. It feels great, but you can only redline a car so long before it blows up. You know, so I think everybody needs to think about times when it's smart to pull off the gas and, you know, maybe take a pit stop every once in a while. Well, I, I want to thank you personally and for the industry that I cover, even if I'm not a part of it necessarily, but on behalf of the people that I love in the industry, and you know that we all love you very much in this industry, I want to thank you for taking the time to talk about it. And I'm hoping, and I've, I've been speaking to some of our other friends about this, um, uh, Brian Howard and I just had a conversation about doing more to, uh, on this topic and really trying to raise this issue that people need to take care of themselves. So first of all, thank you so much for just giving us an opportunity to begin the conversation, at least here on my my podcast and I hope that I'm going to move the conversation forward as much as I can from you know using my platform and I hope that you'll be a part of it with me when you have the time and you are healthy enough to do it in the meantime man I know you're I know you've always been a family man who wants to spend a lot of time with your family so I hope that this frees up a lot more time for you to be close to your family and at your healthiest when you do I really appreciate it and I uh, I'm definitely here for you know, anybody that feels like they need to reach out or need support, uh, when people know that that's why I'm so vocal on my social media about the things that's happening with me, um, they're more than welcome. And I've had people in the past reach out that, you know, if they need an ear or need help finding resources, uh, that they can do that. Bravo to Justin for being honest. Yeah. He just poured his, poured his heart out, you yeah. know, and, uh, his journey isn't so uh, isolated and that's what you're talking about, you know, and that's what needs to be talked about more. But 
what can be done about it? I mean, it's so militant. It is so competitive. It is so macho. You know, and and, and it, when I say macho, it, that's not just male macho. Right. You know, there's a lot of women in the kitchen, and they are just as tough, if not tougher, because of the fact that it's a male-dominated world always was. But the pressures are, are so enormous, because, and you don't know when they're going to come and get you. You know, you think yeah. you're on top of the world. Everything is great. All of a sudden, you just get this anxiety that crawls up your ankles into your gut, and you don't know what's going on anymore. You know, and he, his, his story is, is unbelievable. Yeah, well, I, I applaud him for, first of all, taking care of himself. Secondly, for being willing to talk about it um, and spread the word so hopefully a younger generation of chefs doesn't mm -hmm. have to get to the point where he got. Um, I want to have Brian Howard in to talk about this topic soon. Um, also, you know, this will come up in the news briefly, uh, but, you know, our friend Jeff at Valencia and Gold is going to be closing down for a little while over there. Yep. And um, he's, he didn't get into it in his press release. He and I spoke privately, but he just has a personal issue, mm -hmm. family issue, something that he needs to deal with. Right. And, you know, but I know how much he suffered, how much he tortured himself over whether he was going to take care of something he needed to take care of in his personal life or whether he was going to take he care of his restaurant. And that's, that is a problem, and we need to understand that we need to take care of ourselves. Here's my point of view or my perspective is the expectation on the chef on the chef and everybody expects you to be there all the time. Why aren't you in your kitchen, you know, and on weekends and, and on, on holidays and everything. Now, I'm, this isn't boo-hoo. This is real. Mm -hmm. Now, the expectation has to shift. You got to be okay. Mm -hmm. You know, the, the gossip behind it and all the scares. I mean, think of the Michelin star and people blowing their heads off. That mentality has been handed down. It's gone through the veins of, of, of the, the, the different decades of chefs going and coming. And it's just you can't always expect the chef to be, uh, be at the stove. Yeah, absolutely. You need to take care of yourselves. You need to make sure you see your family. You need to make sure that you see your friends. You need to make sure that you get some time off. Mm -hmm. And you got to go to fucking doctors and do what they say. So hopefully we'll continue this conversation for a while. Mm -hmm. and then on a lighter note, we have a new chef in charge at Haleo, um, which is the Vegas version of Jose Andreas's venerable Spanish restaurant that he first opened nearly three decades ago in Washington, D.C. Justin D. Phillips is the new executive chef at Haleo in the Cosmopolitan. And we sat down for a conversation after my meal at Chino Poblano the other day, <laughs> and it started off by me asking him about his history with Chef Andreas. I started with uh, Chef Jose back in 2012. I, I was a line cook back in South Beach. In 2012, I got the opportunity to be hired on uh, during the opening of Bazaar South Beach. So you started off at Bazaar. That would you, for people that haven't eaten at an actual Bazaar, maybe only been to Bazaar Meat, could you explain like what that concept is at the Bazaar? Yeah, we had a really interesting uh, format for the menu. So the menu is sort of divided in that particular location into two sides. So we have like sort of your traditional Spanish tapas. And actually, a lot of the recipes are shared here at the Haleo Concept. So you have sort of the more traditional take on Spanish cuisine. But what's really cool about Bazaar is there's this sort of alternate level of Spanish cooking where you have like the Ferran Adrias that are really pushing the envelope of what's possible with food and what you can do with textures and flavors and aromas and, and the experience of eating itself, the joy of eating, right? Whimsy. And, you know, when we talk about Jose, we always talk about very whimsical food, right? And so Jose really gets to explore that side of his cuisine. Uh, in the bizarre concept, and the other side of the menu. And that particular question was called Miami Meets the World. So we were able to mash up some of the Caribbean flavors that you find in uh, Miami, sort of like the island flavors of Puerto Rico, Colombia, Dominican Republic, even Mexico and South America, with some of the more traditional ingredients from Spain, which was really fun. And we had influences all the way going across to, like, Thailand and the Philippines and some of these flavor profiles of sweet and hot. It's a really, really fun concept. Cool. And then you went and opened someplace in Disney for, for Jose. Am I right there? Yeah, that's right. We actually opened a 550-seat Haleo in Disney Springs. Uh, it's a monster. Um, the, the building is beautiful. Uh, it looks like sort of an inverted bronzed artichoke right in the center of Disney Springs, right next to the Cirque du Soleil building. Um, and it's, it's easily twice as big as any other Haleo we've ever opened. It was quite an undertaking. 
Now, I'm curious, and I'm, I, we will speak about what you're doing in Vegas, but I'm really curious about this idea. I love Disney World. Um, and you mentioned that it was next to Cirque du Soleil. A long time ago, long, long time ago, I remember speaking to people saying, Vegas needs to get some of um, what we were calling molecular gastronomy. I know those, those are bad words in this house, but that Spanish avant-garde, that molecular gastronomy, and mix it with Cirque du Soleil. I always thought that that would be a great companion restaurant, that wow factor. So I'm curious, when you go into Disney, which is known for magic and all that, and you're next to Cirque du Soleil, which is known for that kind of flash and wow factor, did you bring more of those Spanish avant-garde techniques, the things that you were talking about from Bazaar? Were you able to bring them into Disney, and how would they have been received if you did? You know, that's a really interesting question. So one of the things about the Haleo brand, and this was interesting for me to acclimate to as I transitioned over from Bazaar, is where Bazaar is really pushing what's possible with Spanish cuisine, um, sort of in the modern sense. Haleo is about the history and the culture of Spanish cuisine, and we don't really like to deviate from that. We do have some small nods to what you would call molecular gastronomy, although Jose would say all gastronomy is molecular, right? <laughs> um, but sort of these like more modern techniques of, of changing the textures of food. Um, so we have our liquid olives, and and things like that that are very fun. We have played with liquid nitrogen and things like that. But in general, we stick to the classics in Haleo. And so when we were looking at opening Haleo in Disney, it was less about bringing these sort of modern cooking techniques, but more about bringing some of the like the fun and the energy and the excitement of the Haleo brand to Disney, right? Because Disney is a place where people go for it, like you say, for Vegas, an experience, right? They want to go to Disney World to have fun. So we opened this, I mean, huge, beautiful, like, amphitheater of a restaurant. It's in, it's open concept. The entire center of the restaurant doesn't have a ceiling. It goes all the way up to the ceiling, right, on the third floor. And we have this sort of wraparound balcony that is the second floor dining room. So very, very open concept. We have a chandelier that goes up all the way 40 feet to the ceiling and comes down with mirrors on all sides. It's a spectacle to walk into that haleo. We have a 50-foot-tall um, a matador wallpaper on the left-hand side. I mean, it's beautiful, the space. And one of the really cool things we were able to do is, is we were able to put one of our what we call fire kitchens right in the center of the restaurant. We have one here in, in Vegas as well. And in Disney, it's the centerpiece of the restaurant. You walk in right behind the host stand there on the left-hand side. It's right there. And as you're sitting in the dining room, you have a sight line from everywhere in the dining room to see these massive pillars of flame coming up around the paella pan as we're cooking these things. And, of course, every time we finish a pan of paella, we ring the campana, the, the cowbell, to make sure everybody knows that it's hot fresh now. And if you want one, come get it right now. It's good. Cool. Well, I've got to get down to Disney. I'm convincing my wife slowly that I am staying at that Star Wars hotel. She doesn't believe me. She does not think we're spending that kind of money. But um, I've told her that 12-year-old Al would insist that 54-year-old Al do that if he can. So I will check it out when I'm down there next time. Um, so before we get to Vegas, where else have you worked within Think Food Groups before getting here in Las Vegas? Yeah, so I started down in South Beach. I actually worked there for about four years. I worked my way up from Grill Cook to... Um, sous chef. Um, I was uh, headhunted by the Walt Disney Company, so I went and worked for the actual Walt Disney Company for a couple years at, at the Grand Floridian. I was at Narcusis and then Victorian Alberts. Oh. Did a couple of tours on the cruise ships to roll out a menu on Remy, um, and then get headhunted right back. Uh, we have a joke in Think Food Group: once a TFG or always a TFG. Or we always leave the door open on our way out, and it, it really is family. So I got a call from a, a, an amazing man and, and mentor of mine, Joe Rafa, um, and he said, "You know, basically, are you ready to come back?" I said, yeah. "Absolutely." We just took one phone phone call. So I came back. We opened Haleo in Disney Springs. We also opened Pepe in Disney Springs, which is uh, sort of more of a grab-and-go sandwich shop, um, kind of leaning into the idea of Spanish street sandwiches like you would find on Las Ramblas in Barcelona and places like that where you're snacking on, on sandwiches on the go for lunch. Um, and then made the move to Chicago, where we opened another two restaurants, uh, actually five all told, but uh, opened another Haleo. Uh, right there in River North, and we opened an amazing new concept, brand new, called Pigtail, um, which is, you know, we don't like to use the word speakeasy, but it's got speakeasy vibes. It's a it's a basement bar underneath Haleo. It's got a secret entrance hidden behind the stairwell there. Uh, 33 seats, very elevated cuisine, and when we're talking about sort of like the, the more modern um, techniques that you would find in Spanish cuisine, that's like our playground, and we get to really play down there, and it's a mashup of, of Iberian pork and cocktails is sort of like the center focus of that concept. And so we, we get to put Iberian pork, yeah, like, even in the cocktails. It's really, really fun. Yeah, I mean, we have a, a pork consomme cocktail, some really, really innovative things. Um, and pork as many ways as you can as you can imagine it. We have it down there, which is really, really fun. And it's been a, it's been a great success so far. We're really looking forward to, to continuing to lean into that brand. So then what brought you to Vegas? 
Uh, you know, I, I couldn't tell you for certain, but I just, uh, I, I had done a year uh, opening Haleo in Vegas. My, my opening executive sous chef was given the great opportunity. He was with me for four years. We opened Disney together as well um, to go back down to Disney and take over the head chef position there. Um, and then I had another gentleman who was one of my sous chefs who came up as well and, and also was ready to take on a head chef role. So we, I think as a, as a company, just found this opportunity where it's like, okay, if we make all these moves simultaneously, we're putting some really good people who have a really solid foundation in the Haleo brand and the Haleo spirit in the leadership positions in each of our, in each of our newer outposts. Um, and I, so um, here in Vegas, the, the opportunity was here. We're obviously still kind of as an industry coming out of COVID and, and finding the support that each restaurant needs to get back to a sense of normalcy is really the biggest lift. Um, and so the team out here did a miraculous job digging this restaurant out and getting it back on its feet. Um, but they've been working really hard and they really could use some more support. And so I think we found an opportunity to leave someone really, really solid to be the head chef in Chicago, really solid to be the head chef in Disney, um, which freed me up to, to move out here and lend my support to the guys out here who really need it. So you had spent some time here in Las Vegas before. So I'm curious, coming back now after the pandemic, how has the city changed? How has the restaurant changed? How has the scene changed? You know, as you, you mentioned uh, sort of before we started, people are really hungry to get back out. Um, and that's really cool. I mean, Vegas is always busy. The food scene here has always been amazing. But there's a hunger right now to get back out and to, to get back to normal and to go out and have some fun. We've all been so pent up for the last couple of years that it's really cool to be in a city that's very focused on that idea already. And then to see this sort of increased interest in getting out and, and having a nice time. So how do you approach coming in and taking over a Haleo, which really is in many, I don't know if flagship is the right word, but it is the the most well-known brand, perhaps, of Chef Andreas's family of restaurants. And it is known, as you said, for very specific things. So how much freedom do you have and how much, how many liberties are you taking now that you're back here? No, well, I mean, it's um, obviously the most important thing when you're coming into a new operation is not to disrupt the camaraderie that, that has already been established here. I mean, these guys have been doing an amazing job for 11 years without me. Um, they don't need me, um, um, but it's, it's wonderful to be given the opportunity to come here and to lead them. Um, one, of the, you know, one of the biggest lifts that we have right now is even now, even today, let's say about a year out from getting back to some semblance of normalcy after the pandemic, there's still so such a long way to go to get back to baseline, to get back to our roots, to get back to our full amount of menu offerings, to get back to our full staffing levels, and to make sure that we can, I mean, our, our vision is to share Spanish food and culture with our guests every single night. We throw a dinner party. That's what, that's what our goal is. And so, um, you know, my, my purpose in being here is to, to give this team enough support that we can get back to doing that easily with you know and, and have fun ourselves while we're doing it that's the important part so you know part of the integration process is always getting in getting to know the people that are here and relying on the experience that they have because no one knows this operation better than the people that have been doing it every day before I got here right so a lot of what I'm doing right now especially in my first couple of weeks is learning from them and um, in, in that sense once I get a you know, an understanding of how things are here, it sets me up much better to, to lead them moving forward. So anything you could tease, any big plans, any new directions, new products, something that you tried out in Chicago that you really want to bring to Vegas, you're just waiting for the right time? Oh, yeah, definitely. We, uh, I, I will say we have uh, a couple festivals uh, that we like to do at Haleo right now. We're obviously doing Tomatina to celebrate the Tomatina Festival in, in Buñol, right outside Valencia. But we have a really exciting one that I think people want to keep their eyes on in September called Paya Festival. It's very successful every year, but this year in particular and this particular location, we have some interesting plans to spice it up. Okay, and we can follow your social medias and people can listen to me and you'll keep me in the loop as to what's happening there? Absolutely, you know I will. Okay, so let me ask you, this will probably be my last question. So I get asked this all the time. What should I have when I go there? What do I have to try? And it's tough in this restaurant, right? Because I feel like you've got to do Iberico pig, maybe in a way that's a little different than just the thinly sliced, you know, pata negra. Um, you know, I'd like to get the secreto or tell people to do that. But then I don't want to tell them to miss the paella either. And then the, suddenly I'm like, oh, you have to have some sherry. They got a great sherry list and you got to do gin and tonic because Jose loves gin and tonic. So... Forget what I would recommend. What do you tell people they need to have if they really want to understand Haleo? Yeah, well, I mean, this is this is the, the best question. Um, first of all, my first recommendation, especially if you're listening to this before you come in, 
bring your friends. This is not a concept that is intended to be experienced alone. We are, we are a restaurant that thrives on ordering a lot of things and sharing them around the table, right? So the best experience you're gonna have is if you bring a group of four or five or six friends and you sit around and you, you don't order glasses, you order bottles, and you don't order one or two things, you order three or four things per person. And what's wonderful about this concept and what I love about it is that we have so many options on our menu that span so many different categories of Spanish cuisine. At, at the moment, we have over 50 items on the menu, right? And let's say you have three to four items per person, you know, to get a solid meal. It means if you come in with four or five friends, you're going to experience maybe 15, maybe 18 dishes. You can come back to this restaurant two more times and do that same thing and never repeat a dish. And that's what's really cool. So I encourage you, come bring your friends and then order a bunch, order three or four things per person. And my strong recommendation, especially having gotten the opportunity to meet the team here, we have some incredibly experienced servers who have been here for a really, really long time. They know their way back and forward through this concept. Trust your server, have them help guide you through the menu. Find some things on the menu that excite you, that you wanna try, tell them what those are, and then let them fill out the rest. Cause they know, they know what is good and they'll know how to sort of design your experience so that you have the best time. So yeah, I mean, there's not a lot more to say about Haleo, Rick. It's nah. just a fucking amazing restaurant and people should go. Any place with flames in the center of the room <laughs> is pretty cool with me, I'm gonna tell you. Yeah, go cool. and speaking of flames, um, wood-fired pizzas mm-hmm. i got a little preview of the great one of the great feel-good stories of the las vegas food scene yukon pizza did their vegas test kitchen takeover this past weekend they'll be doing it again this coming weekend highlighting some of the items that will be on the menu when they open quote unquote for real in the mm-hmm. hundred shopping center so alex white told me all about how yukon went from a pandemic pop-up to very soon a real restaurant but it began while he was still active in his first profession. I actually went to UNLV here in Las Vegas, and I graduated from the film production program there and jumped into the industry wide array. So I worked in it for about a decade, a little more than 10 years, doing a lot of traveling, a lot of cool jobs. Um, and at, this, at the same time, all along on the side, I was doing pizzas in my backyard. It's kind of a side passion project. We're using a, you know, a family starter that's been around for 125 years, so... For me and my brother, we you know we grew up with uh, a sourdough starter all the time in the household. It was a really normal thing, and we got as we got older, we realized that's not a very normal thing to have. <laughs> yeah. um, so when I kind of got the sourdough pizza thing going and showing it to people and sharing my you know my story, my my kind of love for pizza, I got a lot of great feedback. People were saying, you know, this is actually something that's really special. It's different. It's unique. Um, and if you ever have an idea for trying to push for a restaurant, you should probably go for it. But I was already doing the film thing. Life was good. I know restaurant touring is really risky. It's really volatile. Um, but then pandemic happened. And that, like you said, it is definitely a, it was a time of great strife for everybody. But it, like, like kind of the raising from the ashes, we kind of found a way to, to make it work well for us, which is essentially a kick in the pants to start the idea. You know, like my brother and I had been talking kind of loosely and vaguely for a few years about what if someday we try to do a pizzeria be nice to get out of the film business where we've done our thing there. Um, didn't kind of see a pandemic happening, but then it did. And it allowed us to like really focus on it. Um, so my wife and I, we started making pizzas in our backyard two days a week during the pandemic. And, you know, first it was friends and some family and industry people. And then a few weeks into it, it was people who don't recognize and people who were driving out from Anthem and North Las Vegas to come try our pizza out of our backyard. You know, people were having a hard time. They were in quarantine. They were, their only time they would leave the house was to come out to the, the, the house. They'd drive up, open the back door. we throw in a pizza on the back seat, and they'd drive away and have a pizza down at the end of the street and provide a really good experience, some cool memories. We have some customers to this day who still come out and see us. They started us with during the pandemic. Um, and then Jolene found us you know, that later that fall in 2020, and she had this idea for Vegas Test Kitchen. Yeah, and what's what's interesting is you were, and I was going back trying to remember the first time I spoke to you, and it was for the opening of the Vegas Test Kitchen. I don't think I was familiar with what you were doing out of your backyard. I'm not that cool, apparently. Um, but Joe was talking about opening up Vegas Test Kitchen. There were five concepts that were coming in. Yukon Pizza was one of the originals. And I've got to say, I mean, nothing better illustrates the 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 promise of what Vegas Test Kitchen can be. Now, I know we've had a lot of well-known chefs, successful chefs that have come through here just to try out new concepts, and they've done extremely well. But you, for being a first-time restaurateur, I mean, that seems to be what a culinary incubator like this is all about. So how did having Vegas Test Kitchen as an asset, how did that really make it possible for you to live out a dream? I mean, I don't want to get corny, but I mean, let's be honest. 
No, it really is living out a dream, and I think the, the key word is incubator space, a culinary incubator space. That's the best way, best way to describe Vegas Test Kitchen is it is a multi-concept incubator space that really did allow us as a small-time kind of business who's just family-owned, family-ran, trying to get our legs under us and figure out operations, um, allow us a huge opportunity to set up shop, get permitted, everything's on the, on the line, on the board, and then sell food to the public in a great dining room space. Like, there's very, very few places you can do something like that where you get to work with all the different kind of chefs that we have here, especially. But Jolene offered us, you know, so many resources and the support to be here for as long as we wanted to be while we kind of seeked out the next part of our dream, which was building out our own brick-and-mortar pizzeria. And being in the test, test kitchen offered us that within a year. Um, it was massive, and that's when we met Jay Dapper, we had started conversations with him and spent a few months looking at spaces and going through some different ideas. And that's when we landed on the idea to sign the lease in fall of 2021 and uh, pursue our brick and mortar spot at the Hunter Shopping Center with, with everything coming down to the Charleston and Maryland area. We've got the Hunter Theater coming online in a few years. There's some new shops and restaurants going in there. And, you know, we're part of the neighborhood. We live down there. We love being downtown. We're only five minutes from VTK, so it's, we're still part of the Fremont community. Um, it's really been an amazing like, opportunity and a spot for us. I know moving forward, as you go with Jay Dapper over into the Hunt Ridge Shopping Center, you just posted something on social media that you're still looking for a little bit of extra dough to do that. Oh, oh, sorry, that was a bad pun. But still looking for a little bit of money to do that, and you're seeking investors. Could you explain what's going on on that front? Yeah, so we've already done like an initial kind of private capital raising fundraising round. That got us to the point now where we're able to get in the space, get some of the equipment that we need. But as with everything, restaurant touring and inflation in the last couple of months, things have gotten more and more expensive. Um, so we had always plans to do kind of a crowdfunding kind of campaign, but we didn't quite know how that looked because we didn't really like the idea of someone giving money and then get a t-shirt in return, you know, kind of thing. We weren't really into that idea, but we found this platform called Mainvest through another bakery in Arizona called Proof. And it's, it allows people to invest their money and get their money back, essentially. So it's a proper investment. It's a proper return. And we've had a lot of customers over the last year, especially ask how they could be more involved with UConn, especially supporting it financially. And we were kind of like, we we're, you know, we're good. We're trying to make pizzas, make money, we treat our staff well, do the thing. But now we hit that point. It's like, yeah, we need an extra few thousand dollars to do some things that we want to get our equipment wise operations. So we found this platform, set a low goal and we smashed that goal within 48 hours. So it was an overwhelming response from, from the community and a lot of our pizza eaters that just said that we're like, they believe in us, they, they see our dream and our vision, they've tasted our pizzas and our food, and like, I keep saying it, but we're beyond grateful for the support from everybody, and so we're, yeah, we're rocking. Okay, so right now, not looking for new investors? Uh, we're still looking for new investors, but we're, the, the cap is hitting, the cap is $50,000 on the, the campaign. I think we're at $44,000 raised right now, so if you want to get in, you got to get in now. <laughs> okay. Cool. Good to know, man. Uh, so let's talk about the food that you're trying out this weekend. And then also what's because by the time people listen to this, that'll be food I've already eaten and I'll probably talk about it. And then what you have coming up next weekend. So this weekend, Chef Justin's featuring a couple of cool things, mostly sandwiches and salads and a couple of mains for our dinner stuff. But during the lunch, she's been featuring an heirloom tomato and burrata salad with saba and pesto. It's been a really popular item. We're finishing that with some cantaloupe microgreens that we get from a local farm here called Ica Greens. And that's been probably our most popular item so far is just everyone wants to try the heirloom tomato and burrata. Um, one of the other great things is our like steak frites sandwich, our steak frites plate. So it's just a classic cut of steak, uh, flat iron from Featherblade Butcher out in Summerlin. Um, and then some classic French fries and, and pickled red onions on the side chimichurri on top and it's like an awesome awesome dish very good um for the some of the dinner stuff he was running i had like a half roast chicken that was really good nice and crispy finished with a shishito peppers pesto and it was with a jalapeno cornbread corn or like bread pudding um so it's kind of chef justin really showcasing some cool like classic more rustic dishes but also a little kind of elevated stuff and then for next weekend we actually haven't finalized the menu but i know we were talking about some korean fried chicken kind of things and maybe some kind of poutine fry options Doing a little more of the outside of the box kind of things that Yukon Pizza is known for with their more like specialty pies with our hero pizza and the the different styles of pie that are a little more kind of crazy, the lote style. So we're kind of hoping to showcase like this weekend is a little more the traditional restaurant stuff. This is kind of more of the staples you'll see next weekend will be a little more of the, the creative side of Chef Justin's flair. And, you know, um, I know Chef Justin's in the back. He's working, and I don't want to bother him. But could you sort of give the backstory about how you got how he came on board this project? So I've known Chef Justin for a few years now. I actually met through Vincent Rotolo of Good Pie. And Vince found me on the side of the road years and years ago. And that's why I'm this whole mess right now opening a restaurant. 
Um, so I shout out to Vince for that. Uh, but through Vince, I met Justin. You know, we did a pop up event, at, you know, a beer brewery thing kind of, I don't know, four or five years ago. We made pizza side by side, and like he saw what I was doing with the pizzas, and he's always had his dream to, to be a chef of his own restaurant, run a pizzeria, and do a kitchen. Um, and I knew at that point, if I ever wanted to be a restaurateur, I needed to have a chef on board because I don't have that background. I'm a, I was a filmmaker, you know. Um, I love making pizzas. I know how to do pizzas, but running a, a kitchen in a restaurant is a whole other business. So me and Justin, you know, we knuckled around for a few years talking about things and ideas. And then when the pandemic happened, it was kind of like, all right, man, I can pick up the phone and call you right now. We're going to bring you on full, on full on as a chef. You're, you know, he's a part owner of the company. It's me, my wife, my brother, and Justin were all equal owners. Um, and we're allowing him to realize and, uh, his dream of, of running his kitchen, running his menus that he wants to do. He has got, he's bursting. He has notebooks that are stacked full with, with menus and ideas that we want to run at the kitchen. So it's, it's more of like taming him down and be like, oh, you can only do a few dishes at a time before you run us out of the room when they walk in coolers. So we're really excited for Justin to be a part of the team as he's been leading us for the last couple of years at Vegas Test Kitchen, showing us how to run the kitchen tightly, be on the line, do all the back kind of in things that we were needed to dial in. That's a, again, the great thing about Test Kitchen is it allows us to learn all that stuff in a really low risk environment, low overhead. We're able to do really, learning is a huge thing and the opportunities are awesome. Cool, man. Okay, so one last, I guess all I need to do is tell people where they can follow you, where they can get news um, as this this move into Hunt Ridge moves forward and if they want to invest and all that kind of stuff. Where are you on the social media and the, the internet and all that shit? Yeah, we've got all the social media, so Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. We're at Yukon Pizza. Um, UConnPizza.com is where all our website is at. So all those will always have our most up-to-date uh, information on ours, our location, or the menus and stuff like that. The news is next. This is Food and Loathing. And it is time for the news. For anyone who was skeptical about whether an upscale 100% plant-based restaurant could find an audience on the strip during dinner hours, because we did have a breakfast and lunch spot before these guys, um, things seem to be going pretty well at Tal Ronan's Crossroads Kitchen in Resorts World Las Vegas. Beginning September 10th, Crossroads will, off will offer brunch on Saturdays and Sundays from 10 to 2, and lunch Mondays through Fridays from 10 to 2. So congratulations on that, Chef Tal. Rick, have you been into Crossroads yet? No, but I did cook with Tal in, uh, in Switzerland. And uh, with Elizabeth Blau put a bunch of chefs together. It was called Best of the West. And Tal was doing a, uh, a beet tartare, you know, red beets. It was unbelievable. Blew my mind. And I've been, all, I've been meaning to fly out to, uh, to California to taste his food. But he's brought it here. Yeah. And actually, I'm going on uh, tomorrow night. I'm going, I'm going Friday night. He's, cool. he's actually going to be in town. He reached out to me. He said, I want to cook for you. So, I mean, what a... What a nice. Well, I'm super, super stoked. Well, I think you're going to love it. I like yeah. the place a lot. And congrats to them that they're doing brunch and lunch now. So, yeah. there's a, look, there's an appetite for this. And um, it seems there's an appetite for a 100% for a plant-based restaurant on the Strip. And that is the big change. You know, if you think that only 10 years ago, it was really hard just to find a decent plant-based option mm -hmm. at a lot of restaurants. Yeah. To get one or two dishes that were good. Mm -hmm. 100%. And I think a lot of other casinos are going to take notice of this. And I think what's interesting to those of us who are not militant about the vegan lifestyle, and no disrespect to those who are, be as militant as you want in your own life, but um, <laughs> ain't me. Um, for those of us who aren't, I think this is interesting because they don't paint this as a vegan restaurant. The words plant-based are nowhere to be found yep. in the advertising, on the menu, anything. And they're just like, hey, we're just a great fucking Mediterranean restaurant. We just don't happen to use any animal products. Yep. And they don't have an attitude. At least I don't, I don't, well, I'll find out. Yeah, you'll find out. Um, also in the news, the Golden Tiki has been throwing a week-long 7th anniversary party that included shrunken head unveilings and Ohana brunch and the world's largest Mai Tai, which was created by Adam Rains. I actually caught up with Adam while he was making that beverage, and here, here's a bit of our conversation. So we're making a 100-gallon Mai Tai with four different rums. We have a locally made orgeat, amazing Italian orange liqueur, and it's enough to serve, it could serve up to 3,000 people. We're having a blast doing it, too. We have opening dates for a pair of eagerly awaited new restaurants. Sonia El Noal will open Bodega Bagel on the corner of Eastern Avenue and St. Rose Parkway on Tuesday, September 6th. 
And Sean McLean will open Bali Italian Soul, Bali Italian Soul at the Sahara on September 30th. I'm looking forward to that. I know how much, like, if you are new to Las Vegas and you don't remember when Sean McLean was the killer, shit at killer, Aria, man. man. I mean, what do you think of when you think of Sean McLean? I automatically have one thought in my head. I think of that foie gras creme brulee. That's exactly it. 100%. That was so fucking good. Sean, if you're listening, man, you got to make that for us. I know it's not necessarily (laughs) Italian, but um, I need it. And the pictures that they're putting out from, you know, that are coming from the Sahara, these dishes look gorgeous. he's he's solid. He's so solid. He's so good. And for those who don't remember, he was at Sage in Aria. Mm -hmm. And... For my money, that was the crown jewel. I mean, I know that we had Michael Mina, but at the time when that place first opened, it wasn't even Bardot Brasserie. It was American Fish first, I think, yeah, yeah. Or, or something else. No, C, I don't know. Anyway, I think it was American Fish. Anyway, um, when Aria opened, Sage was the restaurant. It mm-hmm. was the fine dining place yep, that yep. you wanted to go in Aria, and he knocked it out of the park consistently the entire time he was there. Um, You know, and Richard Camerata is also a partner in this new place that he has who was with him over there. So, you know, I think that's going to be great on the 30th. I'm super psyched about that. A lot of my ex-employees. I had, had you know, my God, I was in restaurants for 13 years, so people came in and out and all around, and Vegas is a small town after all. Many, I had like three of my employees that were, that used to work for me there. I mean, very loyal, but, you know, they have to move on and evolve. And I just love going there because I was so well taken care of yeah so he's going into Sahara that is a major coup for them the fact <laughs> that they're going to have Jose Andres and Sean McLean in Sahara is bravo to you yeah. guys those guys are kicking it up and you know chickies and pizza if you want a cheesesteak <laughs> too so that's cool and hey I believe that's about all we have time for this week thanks to everyone who made the show happen Justin Kingsley Hall Alex White Justin DePhillips Adam Rains, of course Rick Moonen and mm-hmm. the man on the back end Mr. Rich Johnson Please tell a friend about Food and Loathing and spread the word on social media. Just search for Food and Loathing. If you have a question or comment, reach out to us directly by email, info at foodandloathing.vegas. If you haven't done it yet, download the Neon Feast app and use it when you find the next dining, where you'll find your next dining destination. Whatever you need, whatever you want, you'll find it at Neon Feast. And if you're more... <laughs> And if you're more about the laptop than the phone, then just head to neonfeast.com. And if you can't get enough of me through this hour plus podcast, you got plenty of other places to catch me. You can see me on the CW Las Vegas every other Wednesday morning at approximately 8.15 a.m. I believe I will be on 8 News Now today around 3 in the afternoon. That's Friday, this Friday. Um, you can also catch me on KNPR this Friday. I believe on State of Nevada is where I'm going to be there. Uh, that was a pre-recorded interview. I had a lot of fun there. And you can catch me now and then all week long on the Neon Feast update, which you can hear on the Vibe 99.7 here in Las Vegas, 98.1 in the high desert and 98.9 at the river. Also, every Thursday morning at 8, 10 a.m. on the club, a.m. 670 KMZQ. Jesus Christ, I do a lot of stuff, right? Yeah, man, you're all over the place. I, you know what? I was just thinking as you're going through all that, we need it like a where's Al. <laughs> you know, everybody's going to want to follow you around and where you're going next. You're just constant. Um, are you getting sick of me yet? <laughs> anyway, if you're getting sick of this podcast, don't worry. It's over for this episode with Rick Moonen and for producer Rich Johnson. I am Al Mancini reminding you to always stay hungry. Thank you.